Welcome to Funeral Potatoes for the Singles Ward. Tune in to today's taboo topic with Kaylee and Tracy. Hello, everyone. Welcome. <laughs> hey. We are so excited. Thank you for joining us again on part four of our Pride series. Yes. Oh my goodness. This is so great. This is, honestly, this is the most exciting series we have ever done. I mean, granted, it's only our third series, but it is the most exciting one. Our third, I feel like we've done a ton of series. No, we've only done three. Okay, well, still, they get more exciting and more enlightening as we go. To be able to go more in depth into these topics is amazing. And to me, it's just like really it helps me build up my testimony by going more in depth with these. So it's been amazing. I hope and everyone else has enjoyed it at least half as much as we have. We've been working slowly on this like for the last couple of months and trying to make this happen the way that we want it to happen, the way we want to be able to share these voices and all this knowledge and this hope and love within the series with all of you. Like we've been loving it and we are super excited for part four because this is another incredible incredible conversation slash interview whatever you want to call it this is one of the ones the conversations i was most excited to dive into we did do a little bit of fangirling a lot a lot (laughs) when we got this started because to be able to have particular voices who are already speaking up to have them share more of their story with us to share more of their knowledge and their truth with us is so powerful. I really felt the spirit when we were in this conversation. I nearly started crying like 10 times. It was, it was just beautiful. So I really enjoyed it personally. Honestly, this whole experience doing the pride series like this has been so eye opening and totally like life-changing. We have been huge advocates and huge supporters and self-proclaimed allies of the LGBTQ community in and out of the church. And we have, like Brother Osler had mentioned at the beginning of our series, we have a lot of hopes for where the church can go in the future in regards to opening doors and opportunities for members of the church that are LGBTQ+. Just spending time sharing LGBTQ stories, covering topics that are important to them, as well as important to the heteronormative members of the church and other singles of the church has been such a huge blessing for us. And we are so grateful that you've been with us on this journey, and we are so excited to share our special guest for this week. This week, we have the one and only Bradley Talbot who is an incredible voice in the LGBTQ community as well as in the LDS community. Bradley has amassed a huge following on social media as he has created Color the Campus, multiple podcasts. Honestly, like, I don't know how he does it. He has multiple and doesn't go insane. (laughs) We have a hard enough time with this one. (laughs) So he's doing amazing things on like all accounts. Like seriously, you guys. And he (laughs) guest appears on multiple podcasts, not just ours. He also works full time. He does so many amazing things and he is constantly hosting in-depth Sunday school type of experiences through his Instagram every week where he picks a topic 
regarding the LGBTQ community and the history of the LGBTQ community in the church, specifically in church history. And he does a lot of research and he goes in depth to share those stories and to share that history as accurately and as in-depth as possible. And he's going to explain more about that in this episode. But this episode, we wanted to really shine the spotlight on him. Honestly, he's just incredible. Seriously. So we really hope that you enjoy this conversation that we have with him. It was amazing. So we'll turn it over to our past selves now. Enjoy. All right. Today, we have a very special guest with us. We have Bradley Talbot, a recent graduate of BYU. He majored in psychology with a minor in family life. He currently writes the Twitter account um, Unwritten Props. He hosts the podcast Unspoken Secret. He also hosts the Seasonal Color of the Campus podcast. And his newest podcast is Strangers No More, which is a Come Follow Me podcast centering on amplifying the voices of the unheard, sharing the love of God, and bringing intersectional perceptions of the gospel. Bradley also created the Color the Campus organization that supports, protects, befriends, and loves members of the LGBTQ community at all CES schools. He speaks up for and about marginalized groups within the LDS church with a primary focus on the LGBTQ community. Welcome, Bradley. Thank you so much for joining us. We are super thrilled to have you with us. Um, We've been following you on your media on everything that you have to share on your platform really um, over the last sort of year, I think now. And it's been amazing to see everything that you've been able to teach us, to teach everyone. And we are very grateful that you've been willing um, to join us as a guest on our Pride series. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. We know that you've been able to do so much and it's definitely not been easy along the way. Um, so thank you very much for your voice and for your example. So we know that, yeah, um, as we mentioned, that you have recently graduated BYU, but the time there, just because it's a church school, doesn't exactly make it easy. You've been able to do a lot, though, because during your time there, you've spoken up and you've used your voice to make a positive change. So what has that journey been like for you, and what has inspired you to step up in the way that you have? Yeah, that's a really great question. So I was a student for four years, and after my freshman year, I guess, I just really felt pretty isolated and alone and as though there was no place for me at BYU and in any community that I found, I was kind of just on my own in a lot of regard. And so I felt like I wanted to do some, I guess, searching of like, where is a place for me? And around this time, I was also learning more about my identity and my sexuality and who I was, Um, started to come out to more and more people. Um, And then felt as though these communities that I found that were in support of the LGBTQ plus community still didn't quite fit with what I wanted and what I was looking for. So I quickly became motivated to kind of create that own space because I couldn't find it anywhere else. It felt to me as though I had to make a choice between my religion and my sexuality and that there wasn't really an option to do both and to coincide both identities and both communities. So uh, in 2019, in the fall, I started the Color of the Campus um, organization or kindness campaign. With that goal in mind, I also started it because I felt like those that are against the LGBTQ plus community and very hateful and queer phobic and all of those things 
were uncomfortably loud and confident in their views and seemed to have no problem with expressing them in classrooms and at church. And it really bothered me because I felt like, um, and myself included, that there were so many closeted um, individuals at BYU that didn't feel safe and didn't feel like they could ever come out because it appeared as though everyone was against them because those individuals were the loudest. So I created Color the Campus to kind of balance that out a little bit and overwhelm those voices. Um, I had no idea that it would actually be as successful as it was. <laughs> it was just kind of a hope and a dream of, oh, it'd be so amazing if we could get thousands of people to participate. And now suddenly we have millions of people that are um, aware of what's going on and that are in support of Rainbow Days. I was not ready for that, but it's been an, an amazing experience. And so that journey has really been very inspiring to me and helped me in my faith and my identity and my testimony. Thank you for sharing that. I know I speak for both Kaylee and myself when I say that we were both really touched and inspired by the lighting of the why this past, was it April? This past it was March. April. Oh, March. Thank you. This past mm-hmm. March, just what we saw come from that about Color the Campus, the weeks, the days even after the lighting happened, just the pouring out of support from people all over the country about that. And we were just so excited to see that big of a response. I mean, you went over how you came to create Color the Campus and Rainbow Days, but can you explain like how it kind of grew to what it is today? Yeah, so I started it, like I said, in 2019. And um, our main event that we hold with Color the Campus is just the Rainbow Days, which is just wearing rainbow in support of the LGBTQ plus community at all of the CES schools. Um, It's a very simple demonstration. There's really not a lot to it. It's just wearing rainbow just to like signal to the community that, hey, I'm a safe person. You can talk to me. You can sit with me. You can cry with me. You can laugh with me. Like I'll be here for you and I'll listen because I do think that there's also this kind of resistance and hesitancy on allyship where members don't know how to be good allies and also the LGBTQ plus community. I guess, yeah, is resistant to helping them learn how to be good allies because it's so hard. And so there's kind of this huge barrier between both communities. Um, And so Rainbow Day is just an effort of like, hey, I'm willing to at least try to learn how to be a good ally. And so when it started out, it was just mostly like friends and family. There weren't a whole lot of members or participants. Um, And then the following semester in 2020, there was the change in the honor code which spiked a huge group of participation and involvement, which was amazing to see because people were so excited and just enthusiastic about being able to date on campus and and things like that. Um, And then one week after Rainbow Day, there was a letter from church headquarters saying that even though same-sex relationships were no longer in the honor code, it would still be disciplined. And so that's when you saw all of the protests that went on and that were cut short due to the pandemic happening just very shortly after. So there was a lot going on during this time. It was very exciting, very stressful, very painful for a lot of individuals because it was just one thing after another. Um, We held a Rainbow Day that following for that same fall um, that was not as successful um, as the 
the other one because of COVID and campus had mostly been shut down, but it was still gaining traction. Um, so to go to your, get to your question, finally, <laughs> I knew that we needed to do something to kind of get that traction back um, and kind of spark this, the same excitement that we had felt the year previous um, and get things going again because COVID had really stopped a lot of that. So I planned an, uh, another Rainbow Day for the anniversary of when that uh, letter came out um, as an effort to kind of reclaim that uh, anniversary and remind BYU that we are still a part of the BYU community, that we deserve to be respected and acknowledged and loved and supported, and we're not getting that. And I had announced that in the beginning of February, and shortly afterwards, an individual reached out to me and said, hey, I know you're doing this Rainbow Day. Um, I have an idea. Can I run it by you? And I said, sure. And he said, I want to light the Y in Rainbow. And I had heard about this before. This wasn't the first time I had heard about this occurring. There had been a few preliminary plans in place a year prior when all of the protesting was happening. There's been talk of that occurring for years and years where people have wanted to light the Y in Rainbow. But none of it was ever like a serious thought or consideration until February of just this year when I met with this individual, sat down with him, and we, we planned everything out. We talked about all the logistics of it, how many people we would need, social media presence, if we should get the news people involved, photographers. He set up a um, live streaming of the event um, across the valley so that the entire lighting of the Y is now available on YouTube. And kind of we're like, yeah, we're, we're going to do this. <laughs> we kept it a secret, which is a, a miracle in and of itself that it wasn't leaked because it did take a community to bring it to pass. I mean, I was the one that helped organize it and was kind of like the head of what was going on. Um, but it was not me that got it to happen. It was the community that was willing to step up and to make it happen. Um, we had over 50 volunteers that stood around the Y. Um, with their floodlights that they had. Um, we had individuals bring and provide dinner for everybody, water bottles, car rides, hand warmers. I had several photographers in the valley that were in position, ready to take pictures and send them to me so that I could post about it. Um, I had news articles that were in on it that had provided a helicopter to get aerial views. Like there was a lot going on and we had no idea what it was going to look like. Um, we had planned and spaced out all of the participants. We had an individual uh, go up the day before and shovel snow so that people could stand safely around the, the perimeter of the Y. So there were so many moving pieces going on, and yet um, we didn't know what it was going to look like. We didn't know how bright it was going to be. We didn't know if the colors were going to look good. Um, we didn't know if people were going to hike up and physically like remove us. We had no idea what was going to happen, but it turned out incredible and got way more attention than I could even dream. And yeah, I think we, we've already kind of touched on that, but that's kind of what really jump-started it all and got it to what it is now. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing. I didn't know all of that. I haven't ever climbed the Y before, so I didn't even know how big it was. Um, so to have that many volunteers to put together all of that, that's insanely impressive, Bradley. I, I'm so glad that it did work out the way that it did. It was incredible to see the reception, the positive reception. I did see some of the negative, but I focus on the positive because it did look amazing. 
uh, you and all, all the volunteers did such an incredible job. The community really did come together to, to do something that I really think encouraged and brought about a lot of love for people. All right, so speaking of communities though, so neither of us did go to BYU. We actually, um, I went to SUU for a little while and then I went up to SVU where Tracy went. And so um, while we weren't at BYU, we do know how important it was for our LGBTQ friends to be able to find places, groups and communities where they could belong, where they felt like they belonged and could feel supported on a large LDS or very, very populated LDS campus. Um, so for SVU, we know that theater, music, and the fine arts, those departments always were the places where the students could feel the most welcome, engaged, and included. Um, so how have you noticed clubs, groups, or even departments being or acting as safe havens for LGBTQ students on campus? Have any of them done a really good job? Did you see any certain room for improvement? What was your experience on the BYU campus? That's a tricky question for me, at least, because I feel like part of the reason why I created Color the Campus was because I wasn't satisfied with any of those communities. Um, I will say that the USGA club um, at BYU was one that I did really enjoy, and I feel like they do a lot of great work. They've never been allowed to meet on campus, and they're not allowed to register as an official club. So they have to be completely self-funded um, and kind of separate from BYU, but it's, I guess, the acting uh, LGBTQ plus club at BYU. So there is that community. Uh, recently, within the last year, there's been a new department added to BYU called the Office of Student Success and Inclusion, which I found to be really the only place that I felt truly safe on campus, mostly because of the individuals who run it. Um, right now, the, I don't know, the head of that department is Blake Fisher. He's also a gay man, administrator, or I guess employee faculty at BYU. Um, and he's one that I've, I've, I have a really good relationship and friendship with, and I've always felt really safe with him. Um, and so knowing that he's in that department makes that department feel more safe. But as far as like the other communities, like there are more accepting communities, like the humanities department and the liberal arts colleges and um, things like that that I do feel are more accepting and more safe, but none of them have ever really felt satisfactory in my opinion. I think there's a lot of great individuals on campus, both students and faculty that are safe people, but as a whole, because BYU is just still very discriminatory and prejudiced towards the LGBTQ plus community, it's hard to say that any one department or one club is accepting. Because I do think the, the Department of the Student uh, Success and Inclusion does a really great job of holding space for people who want to stay in the church and leave the church. And there's no judgment there. Same with the USGA. But most of the other clubs and organizations that I've run across are either too extreme on the LDS side or the LGBTQ plus side. So, yeah, that's that's kind of my experience. Yeah, it's very challenging to find that like middle ground anywhere mm -hmm. in the church, really, for people to be both supportive of the LGBTQ plus community and being supportive of like church doctrine at the same time. And to yeah. find those people that can blend both sides of inclusion and make it work into one whole. It's very challenging to find that middle ground. Yeah, I'd also say that 
for me, even though it's like kind of contrary to my social media presence and my advocacy, I'm a very private person. I like to keep to myself. Um, and so I never really sought out any of these clubs or groups. I kind of just kept to myself. I didn't really make a lot of friends at BYU. I had one set of roommates that I became pretty close to, but once we moved out, um, kind of lost touch with them and never really rejoined any group. I know that there are really great individuals and communities on campus and at BYU, but I was never really a part of them just because my own inclination of not wanting to be a part of any groups. Even with like USGA, I do really love that organization. I attended maybe two or three of their like their club meetings, and it was because I was giving a forum, like I was speaking on a panel. <laughs> I just kind of kept to myself and didn't really find too many communities while I was a student. Understandable. It can be very challenging. But like we were talking about, like finding that good middle ground of inclusion and belonging for both sides within the church, especially, it can be really difficult to find that middle ground in certain locations and around people who interpret the gospel entirely differently. Because as we've seen, especially over the last year, everyone is interpreting the gospel of Jesus Christ completely differently. Like some people believe that he's like the super Republican Jesus who loves guns and abortions. And then we have the other people who read the doctrine of Christ as he said, love everyone. And that means everyone and treat everyone with kindness and respect because that's what the doctrine says. And so we have these two polar opposites of interpretations of the doctrine of Christ. And so it's hard to find that middle ground no matter where you are. And as single adults in a church that is really focused on marriage, especially, we can struggle to feel that we belong as single adults, whether you identify as LGBTQ or not. So for you, what have you done for yourself or for your friends to be able to find that feeling of belonging within the church to feel more welcome or what have you done to help create an environment of belonging within your wards if you have done that? Yeah, so I've had to put in a lot of effort and work towards um, creating those spaces myself, which is why I am so like prominent and uh, loud, I guess, on social media, I really have just felt like the only way that things are going to change is we have to start talking about it. We need to educate people and we need to have these conversations because dismissing them and ignoring these pretty severe issues that church members have um, with the LGBTQ plus community isn't doing anything. There's a lot of microaggressions and just implicit bias that people deal with that they have no idea that they're even victim to. Um, because I know a lot of people that will say that, yes, I am so supportive of the LGBTQ plus community and I will be there for you and I support you and, and all of those things. Um, but when it comes down to it, when you actually start talking about these experiences, um, it becomes very clear that they're really not as supportive as they think that they are. They're more conditional in their support and understanding. And that's just because they don't have the exposure of listening to voices like mine and and other people. So um, I've had to really work hard towards speaking out and speaking up. And what works for me is social media. I, I mean, obviously, I'm doing this podcast, and I've done panels, and I've uh, done interviews, and 
all sorts of things. And so I've been vocal in those ways as well. But as far as like my own individual awards, like I haven't (laughs) given a talk in years. (laughs) I don't hardly ever speak up in Sunday school. I don't really, again, like I was saying before, I kind of keep to myself, but I'm very comfortable in writing and in posting on social media. And then suddenly thousands and even millions of people are looking at it. And I'm like, wow, I didn't realize people were going to listen to me. I just was posting my thoughts. It's amazing that there are so many people that are wanting to listen to me. And I'm so grateful and humbled to experience that reality. But it's just so bizarre to me because in real life, that's not, I don't, I don't know how that happened. I'm very quiet. I I know the feeling. Um, It's been amazing watching your, your following grow to hear you continue speaking more and more. And we were just talking before we started recording about your Instagram and how you post on there a lot more, a lot more detailed um, information and stories than you do on Twitter. Um, And it's incredible that you've been able to go on this journey for yourself as well as share and as well as bring everyone else who wants to be a part of it on the journey along with you as you continue to learn and to educate yourself. And it's incredible how you, like you said, just being able to speak up and to start talking about the harder topics that no one's really talking about um, can do so much to help change people. And I and I do understand what you mean by um, how people can think that they are being analyzed, but it 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 does end up being conditional. It ends up being they're only they only think that they are allies. They only think that that they're being loving and kind um, when it really is conditional. When they're not really understanding everything. One of the great things that you've been doing is helping to educate people to help us to start understanding what we don't know to make sure that we can start clearing away that implicit bias to get get rid of that queer phobia to help us to become better and true disciples of Jesus Christ. And so as you've been going on this journey for yourself, do you see an end goal of what you're looking for or are you just going one step at a time? I'm just very curious on mm-hmm your journey and how you've been able to progress so far and doing so much. So what is, what is your end goal with your journey here? Yeah. So I I can answer in two ways. One is uh, in regards to color the campus, because for me, that organization and that whole kindness campaign has always just been about the LGBTQ plus community and bringing allyship to them. Because I do think a lot of people think that my end goal in regards to that is to change BYU policy and even to like change church policy. Personally, I would love for that to happen, but that's not my end goal with Color the Campus. My end goal with Color the Campus is to just continue to create a safe space and environment for uh, these students and faculty members so that they can really thrive in their respective disciplines and feel like they, they have a place that they're wanted and needed at um, these communities. The only way that I would discontinue Color the Campus is if we have completely eradicated all queer phobia <laughs> in the world, which is just not going to happen. The end goal is kind of like an ongoing end goal of just creating a more and more safe space um, because it's never going to be a fully safe space for anybody. All marginalized groups are uh, kind of subject to people that are going to be hateful and ignorant. Um, Because even if, let's say, church policy does change, and let's say BYU does change its policies, color the campus is still going to continue because I feel like um, the culture is still going to take 
such a long time to fully change. And it'll honestly never be completely perfect at that. So there's that answer. (laughs) Um, And then personally, my end goal is I really just want pretty similar, um, but I want to just be able to finally feel like I have a place and a belonging um, at church where I can bring my husband, um, my children, and worship my God in the same way that my community is in whatever ward I'm attending um, and not feel like I have to justify myself or rationalize or defend my faith or my family to anybody. Um, Again, I don't know if that's ever going to be complete and like satisfied, um, but I do think that there are steps that are taking place and that's becoming better and better. So yeah, that's what I would say. I don't know if that answered your question. I think it definitely, yeah, I think it definitely did. You know, when you said that the end goal is kind of like an ongoing goal, that is something that we've been talking about a lot through our interviews during this series. Um, We've talked to a bunch of people about topics like allyship and intersectionality and developing your individual worth as a queer member of the church and finding ways to create pockets of inclusion and belonging in whatever environment we're in, whether it's inside of the church or outside of the church. And one thing that has consistently come up in these discussions is that there's a gap between where we are right now as the church and where we could be in terms of inclusion and belonging for LGBTQ members. And so What do you think that we need to do more as a faith community to bridge that gap between where we are currently as members of the church, even whether it's with policy or just with the cultural norms of the church, I should say, um, versus where we need to go, which is having those environments of safety and inclusion where you can fulfill your dream of having your husband and your family in church, just like everybody else in church. Yeah, I love that question. Um, I This is going to sound a little harsh, maybe, but I, I would say the first step that needs uh, to be taken is I really want members of the church to lose the confidence that they have in what they think is right. Um, there's nothing more infuriating than having a conversation with someone and feeling as though they think they know better than me and that their really their ignorance on the issue and my experiences is somehow more important and more valid than my own faith and testimony and revelation. That confidence that they have is totally unearned and it just makes me so upset that people feel like they know better than me because they feel supported by church leaders that continue to uh, perpetuate these homophobic and queerphobic teachings. Um, It's so difficult for church members to separate their testimony in Christ and their testimony in the church because to a lot of them, it's the exact same thing. Um, And so they feel very defensive when I try to dismantle that and tell them, hey, church members can make mistakes because they interpret that as me saying Jesus Christ can make mistakes. And that's not true. (laughs) The first step is really to humble yourself and lose the confidence that you have in thinking what you know is right. Um, And then, yeah, disconnecting that connection between church leaders and man and God. You can even find examples from the Bible where church leaders have made horrid mistakes 
And I don't understand how people don't see that that happens in our dispensation as well. Just because this is the last dispensation does not mean it is the best dispensation. We still make a lot of mistakes. We need to stop pretending like we are somehow better than these other dispensations. Um, after that, the next step is to really take the time to listen and educate yourself on um, LGBTQ plus experiences, because I guarantee you know people that are part of the queer community. It's not our responsibility to educate you on these experiences. I do feel like that's necessary to say, only because it's very exhausting and traumatic to have to educate. At the same time, I recognize that it's kind of almost impossible to be educated without having a queer member educate you. Um, and so that's kind of why I've stepped up and I'm willing to educate people on that. But you need to take the time to listen to what we have to say, listen to our experiences, and yeah, be willing to, to understand and not push back and get defensive um, when I say things like, oh, the church is wrong in this regard. I still believe the church to be true. I still believe that the restoration occurred and that Joseph Smith is a prophet. Russell M. Nelson is a prophet. I still believe those things. That doesn't mean that there's not going to be mistakes made. The only person who didn't make a mistake was Jesus Christ. And even though these men have been called of God and are being directed by Jesus Christ, there is still a jump where the revelation that comes from Christ, as soon as it touches man's ears, it's going to be corrupted in some way because we are not perfect. We are not gods. We're human. <laughs> I think a lot of members can relate to receiving revelation and having a hard time implementing that and bringing it to fruition. Like if you can experience that and understand that on your level, how come you can't see that at the same level as church leaders? There's a lot of things that I could say, but yeah, just listening and recognizing that it's okay that church leaders make mistakes. It doesn't mean the church isn't true. It just means the restoration is still ongoing and there's a long way to go. And that's not going to change until we swallow our pride and move forward. Thank you so much for bringing that up. You made like a dozen really good points right there. <laughs> and it actually makes me um, think about, so we actually recently did another podcast episode based on some of your tweets um we oh, really didn't share that with you beforehand so sorry we're kind of surprising you yes um so a while back I think it was actually last year where you talked about there's a differentiation between right truth goodness and something else that I'm forgetting reality reality thank you yes reality. yeah so we had a very good introductory conversation into those topics and as you we were talking that just brought it back to me how there really is a differentiation between them and that we tend to merge them all into the same concept because yeah, if the church is true, then everything it does must be right, must be good. And that's not necessarily the case. And it is very hard to have the humility, to have the determination, to have the understanding that you need to be able to separate them, to differentiate them and to learn for yourself what everything, what each thing you learn about is, what that we need to be able to take each, you know, general conference talk, every part of the, the church handbook and say, okay, how does this work in line with my faith? Is this right? Is this good? Like, what is the purpose of this? It's mm -hmm. something that I had not really considered before, but it's definitely something that I had been unconsciously looking for. Like it's something that we need to understand, especially as we're dealing with these issues that we're trying to help and understand with one another so that we can support each other. 
So have you always kind of had an understanding of that? Or did you have a journey to learning that, to learn how to differentiate um, between these two, be able to point to things that are being said in church and being like, okay, this is clearly wrong. Has that always come easily to you? How did you kind of handle that? Yeah, and that's actually what I was going to just like lead into as well is it has been a journey for me and that's something that I've had to learn. I do feel like I learned it fairly quickly because, and I actually have had this conversation with other people about um, my progressive views. And even just like four years ago, I'm completely different in my perspectives on things because I experienced it. And I had the choice of either changing my perspectives or driving myself mad and most likely just ending my life because I was so directly involved in these questions and these concerns that I had. I had to learn very quickly how to make peace with them. Other members don't have that same experience and they have the luxury of being able to take the time to like go on that journey. I didn't have that luxury. I had to go very quickly. Before this journey that I went on of changing my perspective, I was very much, yes, the church is true. The church is good. The church is right all of the time. Anything that the prophets say is law and the church will never contradict itself. The church will never lead us astray. All these different things. It wasn't until I served my mission, I think, that I gained a very, very strong testimony of the church. I had a, I had a pretty strong testimony before the, uh, my mission, which is why I chose to serve a mission. But on my mission, I had many experiences that really just solidified that testimony to me, that this is the true church, that the restoration did occur, and that God lives, that Jesus, Jesus is the Christ, all of those things. And that has just been burned into my identity and my testimony that is just totally unshaken. Um, and so after that, when I came home and started experiencing things at BYU, and now I have the question of marriage on my mind and had to really wrestle with my identity and kind of go on that uh, journey of self-discovery, that was when I noticed all of the flaws within the church and had like a pretty big and somewhat ongoing faith crisis trying to make sense of that because I had this strong undeniable faith and testimony in the church but there's flaws in the church so how do I make sense of this and in order to uh, be able to do that I've had to basically uh, come to the conclusion of what I've already mentioned now just because the church is true does not mean it's perfect and that there can be mistakes um, and I don't think I would have come to that conclusion if I didn't already have such a strong testimony of the church and all of that. In these conversations that I've had with people explaining this, a very uh, frequent follow-up question is then, well, okay, how do you then know what is true and what is not true? Like, if you've now been able to understand that there is a possibility for mistake, how do you know that the whole thing is not a mistake? Like, that seems like a very cop-out answer. And honestly, the answer to that is just very, very simple that I don't, it's kind of funny to me that people don't realize how simple that answer is because they just make things too complicated where, oh, if the church is wrong about the gays, then they could be wrong about anything. No, really, you just have to ask yourself the question, does this bring me closer to Christ or does this bring me away from Christ? All of the things that bring me closer to Christ within the church, I believe those things to be true. But if there is anything that pushes somebody away, that makes someone feel unsafe, unwelcome, unloved, 
that does not bring them closer to Christ, that must not be true. Things such as temple blessings and the sacrament and prayer and the Book of Mormon, to me, all of those things bring me closer to Christ. So I have a testimony of them and I believe in them. Um, But things such as denying me the ability to get married in the temple and not allowing me to date and issues on gender and race and um, other things, those are pushing somebody away from Christ. And I have issue with that. And I don't think that those are from God. That's kind of my measuring stick. If it brings me closer to Christ, if it helps me access the atonement, that is good. Anything else is really irrelevant and subject to change. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. I know for me, a big problem has always been like the people of the church are sometimes the absolute worst. And it makes it very difficult for me to stay because of how toxic and awful the people can be at times. It's hard to delineate that. The core gospel doctrines that Christ taught, love your neighbor as yourself, take care of the sick and the needy, in part of your substance, you know, being good people and doing everything you can to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and the principles that he taught and the lessons that he taught is what we have been focusing on for our testimonies. And so once we have found that that is our bedrock of the gospel is true, the church is not perfect, but it holds everything that the gospel teaches. So the church must be true. And then exactly like you said that The church is run by people. Even though God is at the head of the church, people are still fallible and will make those mistakes. And we have to not only be humble enough to accept that fact, but we have to be almost intelligent enough to recognize that that is going to happen. And how are we going to move forward once we realize that the people that run the church and the church itself are subject to fault and flaws and mistakes? Yeah. And I think that because that possibility is a reality that uh, church leaders can make mistakes. That provides us with the opportunity to shift from being passive followers of Christ to being more active followers of Christ, because we have to then take everything, not for granted, that's not the word that I was looking for, but just be use more critical thinking, um, everything that we're taught and, and evaluate, is this something that's actually going to bring me closer to Christ? Or is it not? And now we're suddenly become more active in our faith and our testimony is going to grow exponentially compared to the very common um, fallout that a lot of members fall into, uh, which is just anything that the church says, I'm just going to do. And I'm just going to put my full trust and faith in them and do whatever they say, no questions asked. That can be a very dangerous place because then you open up the risk and possibility for severe mistake. And I don't see anything wrong with uh, having those questions because even when there is something that I do agree with and that I do love, it's still my responsibility to gain that testimony for myself and not lean on people who told me that. If anything is being taught about the Book of Mormon or the Atonement or Jesus Christ, and it's something that I already believe in, I still have to seek out and ask God, like, is this true? Is this something that I should act upon? And it just totally changes my discipleship. And it's really, um, I feel like, essential for all members of the church to do. And it's a shame that it takes so, so long for us to realize that. I agree 100% on that one. On all those accounts. 
I really love one of the words that you really used, um, Justin, talking right now, what, which was the word active. We are not meant to be members of a church and just going through the motions. We're not supposed to be accepting everything as it is because someone said so. We are supposed to be actively pursuing knowledge, actively pursuing truth, to be working on our testimonies and so on. And I think, especially as someone who grew up in the church, it was easy to just fall back on everything, to lean on everything else, on everyone else around me. And it's forced me to start questioning things that I hadn't questioned before as I actively pursue building my relationship with my savior and with my heavenly parents. And it's so important for us to be able to grow and to really learn truth in that manner. What I think is so ironic is that's like definition of someone who is like pretty passive in their faith we typically refer to them as an active member of the church. I think that's really funny. And yet people who like might even leave the church or are having a hard time coming to church and doing those things that we consider to be active, they're actually being more active in their discipleship of Christ than those passive members. So I think it's, it's ironic that we use that term so often in church culture. I couldn't agree more with that one. That has been something that has really hit me, especially over the last year with this pandemic. I feel like over the last year, even though I've been physically away from church, I've been more active in my testimony and in my study of the gospel than I ever have been before in my life, minus like my mission. But <laughs> it's been more of me seeking answers to my questions, doing, putting forth that effort to study and to find the answers for myself and to have those hard conversations with the Lord. And that has made me more active than ever before. And so going with that, as a kind of like wrap-up question for you, how has your advocacy work helped shape who you are as a disciple of Jesus Christ? Um, it has really caused me to have to reflect on my core values and what I actually believe, because I have such a large audience now that it doesn't matter what I say, I'm going to have opinions and responses all across the spectrum from both sides on both extremes. Um, and have all these voices and um, solicited advice about what I should do, what I should believe, how I should behave, um, what I should think, all of these different things. And so I've had to really take time for myself and reflect on what do I believe and what do I want to do and drown out all of the other voices. And it's been really beneficial to me because now I just much more confident and I guess stable in what I do believe. Because even if everybody else is against me, and is telling me, no, this is what you should be doing. This is how it should be. Today, I have no problem being like, no, I'm going to do what I want and what I believe God has told me to do. I mean, that's, that's how it should be. We are meant to be on this journey. And while we're together, we're still very much our own person. We still have our own journeys to be on where we're supposed to be learning, where we're supposed to be, you know, building our own personal relationships with our heavenly parents. And that's really the only way that we can do it. We can't do it relying on others and we can't do it by being passive. Thank you so much, Bradley, for everything that you've been able to share. You have such an incredible story and you have created a platform of open dialogue about the LGBTQ community plus community within the LDS church. That is very important. And we really do need that. So thank you so much for doing everything that you're doing as well as for joining us today. We are done with our questions. Is there anything, any closing statements that you want to make um, before we let you go? Hmm. Um, I feel like I said most of the things that <laughs> I feel like I typically say, um, 
I'm really grateful for this opportunity to be able to share my experiences and my testimony. Um, I hope the listeners and those that come across this know that they're not alone in whatever their journey may be, because that was the hardest thing for me is feeling like I was alone and that I had to create and carve out my own space. Um, I mean, Color the Campus has been incredible and I'm so grateful for that. But the fact that I felt like I needed to make it in the first place was really hard for me at the beginning and was very isolating and lonely. You're not alone. Even if you disagree with me on things, like there's other people that will be there for you. Thank you so much for being with us today and for sharing everything. I mean, we had mentioned earlier in the episode, well, maybe before we hit record, I don't remember at this point, time is a blur, but (laughs) we had mentioned how you have, your following has exploded over the last year or so. And we are definitely two of those people that have been following you and in a not creepy way and being <laughs> and being really excited about <laughs> everything that you've been sharing. And so we have been like fangirling in a way, like ever mm-hmm. since you agreed to do this episode with us. So thank you really so much thank for you. doing this today. Mm-hmm. We really appreciate yeah. you. You're welcome. Welcome back. Well, that was amazing. So, <laughs> oh my gosh, he is such an incredible human and I am so eternally grateful that we got to meet him and to talk with him for an hour and have that experience with him because when we reached out to him again on Twitter, we make all these connections through Twitter. Twitter is amazing, guys. When we reached out to him on Twitter, Kaylee and I literally started fangirling, like squealing, jumping up and down, dancing. Even though we were on opposite sides of the country, we were both doing that for one another. And we were just so thrilled that he would even give us the time of day. Yes, we know we have a small following, but we appreciate and we truly, truly appreciate every one of you. Like, we love you guys so much. Thank you so much for listening. And we are so appreciative to Bradley for making time for us because it's also just not always an easy topic. Even if it's something that someone discusses on a regular basis, it can get so exhausting. It can get so draining and it can grow painful at times. And so we are insanely appreciative for his time and for everything that he was able to share. This is conversations that we all need to be having, even if they are uncomfortable and even when they are painful. They're so important. We need to be hearing these voices. We need to be learning from amazing people like Bradley. This is definitely one of my favorite podcasts that we've done (laughs) so far because of everything he shared. Above everything that he shared that really like impressed me was not only how many people were reached with Color the Campus, equally participants and in the days after Color the Campus, how wide of a reach that had and how like it reached us. It reached me in Connecticut. It just had such a broad reach and it continues to be that good example of hope and change that we need to see in the church. It was just so powerful to see that and to be able to be a part of that, even if I wasn't physically there, but like my heart was there and it brought so many tears to my eyes to see that happen. That was one thing that I really was just so impressed about. But more than that was when he shared that, like you had said earlier, that even though some of these conversations are very challenging to have, that it's not entirely our LGBTQ plus brothers and sisters or siblings' responsibility to educate us on these topics. We need to do the work. 
we can't just expect someone to spoon feed us information and experiences. Yes, like he had shared, in a way this is part of his mission and his ministry in life is to share his experience. That way he helps open people's eyes to the truth and things and experiences outside of their own lives. But it's also on us. We have to take time to learn about other communities that we're unfamiliar with. We need to invest ourselves into these communities. We need to build bridges. We need to become friends with people that are different from us. And we need to take time to research and understand the history of these marginalized groups if we are truly going to become Christ-like, become compassionate, and become the people and the allies that we need to be for these communities. Exactly. And Bradley is so open and honest. And it's it's so important to be open about these conversations because, yeah, he made a really strong point about how even just allyship is more than just standing there and saying, yeah, sure, of course, like, I don't mind what these people are doing. That's not allyship. Allyship is taking that action to educate ourselves, to speak up, and to truly support one another. I feel like as some people are trying to treat it as a fad of being an ally, of being like, yeah, of course, like, this is cool. Like, yeah, whatever. Like, it's fine. But that's not what allyship is. Allyship is really going out of your way to support those around you. Bradley had to do that for himself on the BYU campus. As he said, he had to create a safe space, an organization, a group for himself where he could feel comfortable and truly be himself. Because nothing like that existed yet. We need to be doing that for one another. We need to be helping one another. We need to be taking that action. And so I loved everything that Bradley was able to call out. These are hard conversations and let's have them. Yeah, we have been saying this since day one of our podcast. We are here to talk about uncomfortable and taboo things. Honestly, we are never going to stop having these conversations. We know that we may upset a few people who listen with the conversations that we have in this podcast. But guess what? It's our podcast. We get to choose what we say and what we don't say. We get to choose whose voices we amplify and whose voices we don't amplify on our podcast. And if that means we lose a few subscribers along the way, then so be it. Because we are here to talk about the things that no one wants to talk about. And we are here to make sure that these voices are being heard and that they know that They are loved, they are cared for, and that they have at least two people who support them no matter what. Agreed. Agreed. Okay, that was really strong, but I do want to add like a a subscript, a postscript to it. If you've listened to like at least two of our episodes, you will know that we are constantly trying to learn and we're educating ourselves and we're making up for our mistakes. So this podcast has been a learning process for us. We are learning along the way. There have been points where we've noticed an inaccuracy in a quote or a reference that we've shared. That happens. Those we do apologize for. But otherwise, we are here to learn. We are constantly growing. And that's one of the reasons we are doing this podcast. We don't want you to think that we know all the things we don't. We don't have all the knowledge. We are using the truth that we discover along the way. We are using doctrine and we're using our faith to show us the way. That is not something we will ever apologize for. Exactly. And so once again, we are so grateful that we have had all of these guests come on our show over the last few weeks and that we have a couple more down the road as well. One more down the road. Sorry. Just one. Just one more. There are two more weeks. So... 
You'll have to see for yourself what happens and why we don't have a guest. But we are so grateful for the guests that we've already had on our show. And we are so excited about who is coming down the road and future episodes throughout the year that we may have with more guests. We are so excited about those that are coming as well. And we are so grateful for those that are listening, that are choosing to stick around and to listen and to learn and to try to be better because that's what we're trying to do too. Exactly. So thank you for joining us for this amazing episode. And we truly hope that you continue to join us, not just for this incredible series of ours, but for all the episodes to come because it's going to be fun. Thank you guys so much. Thank you again, Bradley Talbot. We will probably never stop thanking you. Um, But thank you, you guys. Until next time. (laughs) Bye. Bye.